Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. People, there are no wrong ideas here. The news business is evolving, and it's time to experiment, to play, to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. Are your reporters on Instagram yet? How about a virtual foreign bureau in Second Life? Have you thought about ebooks? Guys, no. It's over. The conferences, the consultants, the jargon, the gurus, the fun phase of the upheaval, of the disruption, that's behind us. Legacy news organizations don't need experiments, labs, moonshot projects. They need answers. They need revenue. They need a plan. Because it's 2016. Because there is blood on the newsroom floor, a big growing puddle of it. Because we have not hit bottom yet. The collapse of the ad market continues. The layoffs continue. The dwindling subscription rates continues. And it is like a responsibility of any serious news outfit to its employees and to the public it serves to have a fucking rational digital strategy. 
something where the numbers might add up, something that has a chance in hell of succeeding and being sustainable. Well, today we're going to try to figure out if our big news organizations in this country do have credible digital strategies. And to help us with that, we have assembled an incredible group of guests. These are people who have held top digital jobs at the CBC, at the Globe and Mail, and at Post Media, but they have moved on, which means that they can actually talk freely about this stuff. And you will meet them all in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Colin Guilas, Aaron Saunders, Tim Callanan, Hannah Saunders, Ira Daniel Anderson, Sarah Mayo, Janet Myers, David McConkie, and Michael Urban. Michael, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada Land is making Canada better, and I'm into that. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is also brought to you by Camp Tech. Camp Tech provides workshops for grown-ups who want to do computers better. So these are half-day to full-day digital workshops where you learn practical stuff that you can use, that you can put on your resume, that you can employ for your project, that'll help you get a job after you learn things like Google Analytics or online retail or Photoshop. CampTech are not the only people in the digital education space. There are lots of things you can do. You can take multi-year degrees. You can take night school classes. There's online training. There's technical college. The reason why you go for CampTech's courses is that they start at just $85, and they are just intensive, hands-on courses where you learn a lot in a very short amount of time. And it's actually a great networking opportunity to meet other people in the same space as you, other entrepreneurs or other people trying to beef up their skill set. I asked Avery Swartz, the founder of CampTech, which of her workshops would be most beneficial to Canada Land. Intro to Google Analytics. Everybody loves it everywhere. Uh, I have some theories about why 
think it's because whatever you're doing, your business. So, you know, you're running a podcast, you're running, you know, a dog walking business, you're running a flower shop, you are the marketing person at an insurance company. I think a lot of people just do what I call spray and pray. Like they just put all this stuff out there and there's no real way to measure it. So with Google Analytics, if you set it up properly, you can track not just what's happening on your website, but also what's happening across your social channels, your email marketing efforts, that kind of stuff. These courses are offered in Toronto, Ottawa, and Vancouver. Go to camptech.ca for more info. I'm Chris Tendall, currently working as a senior product manager at BuzzFeed in New York and have previously worked for Post Media Network and Metro, which is owned by Torstar. My name is Tessa Sproul, and I am uh, the CEO and the uh, co-founder of a company called Vubble. That's with a V. My connection to legacy media is I was the director of digital at CBC in my most recent role there. And then I was there for 20 years, though, so I did work in the news division in every single news space in the in the corporation, I would say. I'm Craig Sell, and I'm a recovering media guy. My uh, connection to the legacy media in Canada was uh, most recently at the Globe Mail, where I headed up uh, the digital design and product experience for uh, their websites, but I've worked at a variety of different newspapers in the country and uh, even in the States. My name is Josh Benton. I'm director of the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard. We are, I usually describe us as a combination newsroom think tank about the future of news. My connection to Canadian uh, legacy news organizations is that I'm a weird Canada file for an American. Actually, I'm, I'm a Cajun from South Louisiana, so my ancestors were kicked out of your fine nation in 1755. So I always felt a connection ever since. I think that this kind of conversation so often had in nobody really knows where things are moving. There's so much jargon surrounding digital news, digital media, but we're at a point now where we know for sure that whatever the future holds, it is digital. And we're, I think, moving away from a, a period of experimentation to tactile realities where companies are failing and they need to figure something out that's going to be sustainable and profitable. So we're moving from experimentation to plans, strategies, but I have trouble figuring out what, if any, strategies are legacy news organizations in Canada have. And for the purpose of this conversation, let's talk about the Globe and Mail. Let's talk about the CBC. Let's talk about uh, post media and, and let's talk about the Toronto star and uh, I'm glad that nobody here currently works for any of those organizations. So maybe we can actually like, what is the plan as you guys understand it? Does anyone want to, you can just claim one of those. In general, I think the big plan is to get scale audience, right? It continues to be the plan. So Craig, who are you, who are you speaking about? In general, I, I wouldn't necessarily speak no, to let's any speak of the in specifics. I'm, I'm talking about, uh, let's see, the uh, Oakville Beaver. No, but I think you look at the Globe Mail, you look at the Transar, you look at CBC. <laughs> Wither the Beaver. They're all trying to reach a mass audience. And that's the thing they're fighting against right now because they're still looking to advertising as the core revenue model. Yeah. They're still looking at trying to get as many eyeballs onto the experience as possible. So the Globe Mail has a digital subscription play in place designed to help reinforce sort of a, a stable revenue period to collect information to better understand who our readers are and support a circulation number that's traditionally always been there for the Globe and Mail. But advertising is a key part of it. And that's, I think, where all media companies, whether it's CBC or whether it's you know, the Globe and Mail newspaper or even something like BuzzFeed, are struggling against the behemoths like Google and Facebook to try to get the right audience mix in place. And marketers, too, are struggling with that. And I think that dynamic, if you look at marketers and publishers, how to reach the right audience is something they're both struggling to figure out. And until someone you know, understands how to do that effectively, they're always going to be uh, adjusting strategies accordingly. 
But what does this mean? Okay, so the Globe and Mail will take your money in, in exchange for a subscription. Sure. And you were involved in that and getting that off the ground. And we heard some early signs that it was going really well mm -hmm. and that it was bucking trends. And there's a lot of skepticism, including my own, towards paywalls mm -hmm. and subscription models. We heard some good news from the Globe and Mail a while ago. Mm -hmm. Haven't heard so much since. Beyond trying to get people to pay for online news, and then I know the Globe is doing more like everyone is in terms of uh, branded content. Yep. What is the business? Is it about the app? Is it about some other thing? What, like, how are they going to make money through zeros and ones? That's the question they're looking to solve for. I mean, I think there's one of the advantages that the paywall has for the Globe Mail is that they have a built-in audience that's willing to pay. When you are uh, an investor looking to make money, you're willing to pay for something that will tell you how to make money more effectively. Yeah. So the core of their readership has always been around the business. So they can build up a fairly strong business model around that. How they want to tackle that, where they're going, I honestly can't say. Uh, this is Josh. Legacy companies, uh, and this is true in the United States and, and I think in Canada as well, have over the last couple of years come to a slightly more realistic position on what online advertising can do for them. I think there was an expectation. Craig was talking about the, the quest for scale. I mean, that's sort of where the division between national and local, you know, comes into play because local news only has a certain amount of scale that it could possibly attain. Even in America, you know, a country that, you know, 10 times the size, um, the kind of scale that traditional news organizations thought they might be able to achieve a few years ago, they're sort of bumping up against the ceiling. A, they're realizing that the advertising revenue, particularly on phones, is going to go to Google and it's going to go to Facebook. I think by some estimates, about 70% of all mobile advertising in the world goes to one of those two companies uh, and their share is increasing, not decreasing. If you look at, uh, you know, the BuzzFeeds of the world and business insiders of the world and the digital first digital startups, um, they're just going to be a lot better at getting really large scale than a traditional media company is going to be with very few exceptions. They are optimized for that and they're going to be a lot better at it. And aside from that, online advertising revenue is just a giant question mark at this point, other than native advertising sponsored content, which I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, CPMs are, are still under lots of pressure, the cost per, per thousand impressions, everything about that advertise that online advertising model that a few years ago, people thought might be a sustainable replacement for the money that they were getting, say, from print advertising and newspapers cases, that's sort of gone away. And I thought the, the trend lines are all moving towards, we're not going to have this giant audience with maybe very few exceptions in the States, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and, and Canada, the Globe might be a, a good example of this. They're thinking we have readers and we need to get they, the readers who we have really like us, many of them, and we need to get as much money from them as we possibly can. So you have a situation where like at the, at the Times in, in, in New York, they now generate more money from their readers than from advertisers, whereas traditionally it was more like 80% advertising, 20% from the readers. Tessa, if I'm not wrong, the CBC uh, does have scale. Like CBC.ca is one of the most popular popular websites in Canada. Yep. The last time we all heard a lot about the CBC's digital strategy, and I was very critical, it came out at a time when we were also hearing a lot about CBC's cutbacks. Mm -hmm. And it felt like those messages, I couldn't ignore that they were coming at the same time. And it was very hard to get your head around exactly what the digital strategy was, but it was very clear who was losing a job and how much money was going outside of the organization. What can you tell us about how CBC, which in theory, doesn't have the same revenue pressure. As but it does because it's a blended structure, right? Like it's, it's a public, it's a public media organization that 
relies on the same thing that everybody else is, which is the ad revenue. Well, tell me about that because the CBC has different products. Like the, the, the radio products are not monetized. There was a decision online. We're going to monetize this. Mm-hmm. So what is the CBC's digital strategy beyond that? They're, they're going digital, which is the last thing we heard. Well, that's, that was what it was when I was last there too. It was, you know, we are embracing the, the change and we're not feeling threatened by it. We're going to experiment still, I would say very much an experimental stage, perhaps because they've got the uh, the scale that they can do that. Um, but I was there when when CBC turned on ads online, and there was a huge discussion about that. We It was a lot of, you know, uh, pulling out of hair and gnashing of teeth, but it was ultimately that in order to pay for this new thing called, when we called it new media at the time, we had to have a different revenue source for it because the CBC has always been, since my time there, in the mid-90s, under stress with uh, with financial cutbacks from the... From the uh, the appropriation it got from the federal funding. So it's under the same stress pressure pressure as everybody else. Everybody's fighting for eyeballs. It's, you know, to me, this is kind of a, kind of the, the problem with everybody, not legacy media alone. This is something that digital media faces as well. Facebook wants to devour the world because it has an insatiable demand for more eyeballs as well, because it's all based on an advertising model that demands more growth in that space. So, so I don't think it's, I don't think that's a legacy media Problem. I think it's an every media problem. So long as media is relying on that advertising piece as the model for its for defining its success, so or defining its revenue. So, so I, I don't have an answer for you on like what their strategy is right now because I have I haven't gone for over a year. Um, but what I look at when I see what I see is they probably have a little bit of breathing room now because because the the uh, new federal government has agreed to uh, to reinvest. Um, I do think that it is you know I left because I felt that I was you know, in a storm, in the water, treading water and being told to build a lifeboat, you know, and, uh, and I was like, but I'm, you know, I how do we do this? And it was like, everybody looks at digital as a thing that's going to save this, yeah. save the brand, whatever it is. And I just felt that I couldn't do that while I was treading water and trying to build a lifeboat. And I saw, Hey, there's an Island right over there. Why don't I just swim to it and we'll build something there. You know, And that's sort of like, I've, I did cross cross into the digital first space because of that very thing. I just riding a ship that, uh, that is, is trying to feed essentially two masters at once is kind of a impossible, I would say at this point. So I, I feel like every media organization, New and uh, and legacy needs to de- define where are they going to be? Are they are they you know sailing across the ocean and do they need a boat to get there or do they? I think even they more build so something entirely is like, different uh, is the purpose right? Yeah, is is a lot of the, I think the digital for legacy organizations in particular is shaking them up. Mm-hmm. They always used to have a command of audience share. They always knew who was going to tune at ten o'clock or pick up that newspaper in the morning at six o'clock. That's different now. And they had exclusivity. They had shelf space and they knew that it was there. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of where you see with the app strategy coming through. They're trying to, this is something we know what to do. So let's get back to that kind of thing that we know how to do. And the audience will come to us because we know how to do that. And in reality, all of us have been trained as readers and news consumers to look at a whole bunch of different areas to get our news, Absolutely. not longer one, no longer one singular source. And that's, that's a bit of an identity crisis, I think, for media organizations. And solving that, I think, is first before you can get into and a I think strategy. the digital companies that are winning are the ones that have figured out how exactly. to sort of disbar themselves of that arrogance of like, well, we are the ones that will tell you what is the important thing. They're actually partnering. You're seeing partnerships happening in the digital space that you would never see in conventional media. I can't think of a, of a starker contrast from trying to push digital agenda in a bureaucracy in a political environment 
environment with all these little fiefdoms like the CBC breaking off from that and going and starting up a new digital media startup where you can just do whatever it is you want to do without having to convince all sorts of tiers of, of bureaucrats and red tape and the political considerations and who gets which piece of the pie. The only thing I can think of that's starker than that is moving from post media to BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, hi, uh, and we, and we, hello, <laughs> and we are trying to, we are trying to just like pin down what the strategies are. And I, I think Postmedia is one of the only uh, legacy companies that has at least given some concept. They, they, they call it their four platform. Is that still in effect to your knowledge when you left and you were very involved in digital products at, uh, at Postmedia are they still on this four? What is the four platform plan? Is that still a plan? Yeah. So interestingly, the thing that I was working on was a project that we called Post Media Labs, which was was kind of like an internal Skunk Works team. It was almost a hedge against the four platform strategy, or I don't know if the executives would have phrased it that way, but that was one of the ways that I thought about it, because we were working on trying to develop new businesses and new audiences outside of that strategy. And the four-platform strategy was more about the core business. My my understanding of where it's at now, which is that I, I understand, you know, a key part of that four-platform strategy was tablet. And I understand that post-media has backed away from that a bit. The idea was that, you know, there was this there was this vision which I think I think is very common in a lot of Canadian legacy media companies is this idea that people want different kinds of content at different stages in their day. So the idea was that you would, in the morning, you would wake up and you would read a post-media newspaper. And then on your way to work, you would look at the, on your phone, at their phone app. And then while you were at work, you would look at their desktop website. And then in the evening, you would look at uh, the tablet. Uh, And there was this, there was this idea that that's how you would go through your day. And they thought that there was some market research to support that, that people kind of went through that pattern. I don't know if that's worked out. It sounds like the last I read about what what uh, the folks at Postmedia, still at Postmedia, were saying about tablet what was that 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 just didn't happen. It's a lovely it's a lovely concept that you can explain really to a middle aged executive. How much did you guys pay the consultant who who told? Like so, Emery Owens has said that Postmedia looked to the tablet to be a savior, and it didn't work out that way. She's basically distanced herself from it. Well, they they they, they killed the two tablet editions, right? There were yeah. two experimental tablet editions, and and they are no more. So that lovely story about the News Consumer's Day and how it's all going to roll around post-media turned out to be a a bit of wishful thinking. But we have yet to, and I I believe, am I wrong that the architect of the four-platform plan is no longer with post-media? Well, yeah, I think I think that Wayne Parrish was one of the main people pushing it, and he he's no longer. I mean, I think he retired. Uh, right, I don't think he left for another job or anything like that. But um, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. And then we have Postmedia gobbling up the sun chain, and Paul Godfrey saying that Canoe.ca was the the crown jewel of the uh, Canoe.ca as the portal, and it just it felt like it was a, it was a it was good news from another planet. Like it, it just, uh, it's the biggest, uh, news site in Canada though. Yeah. So you go back yeah. to the eyeball conversation. It's a play for advertising and scale. Right. With, I guess, a traditional display ad. Yep. Well, Which that'll shut me up again. with my sneering I at Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, it's also very far from the, the traditional business. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you're thinking of, yeah. you don't want all your eggs to be in the basket of, you know, local newspapers and trying to convert them into a digital audience. So I think that's why that would be appealing. But I have to say, when we have discussions here in our, our, our newsroom about anything in Canada, we, we always come back to, what is it with Canada and tablets? It's so strange. <laughs> what? It's a weird what? Canadian obsession. Can we talk about StarTouch, guys? Can we talk? <laughs> can we, is this the time? Are we, I've just been waiting. 
Yeah, we had this discussion in the States in 2010, 2011, 2012, yeah. after the initial rush of excitement about the iPad. And all these publishers, you know, uh, magazine publishers even more so, but also newspaper publishers who saw the tablet as this great way to reclaim control of the channel of delivery. The idea that it was this lean back experience and you would spend half an hour with with a, a tablet edition of, of some news organization's uh, work. And it would be a lot like the evening newspaper of old or the morning newspaper that, that remains or the smartphone was more the, the, the tie there. And no one got the audience they were looking for. Everybody shut things down and everyone realized that they had just lost a few years by putting all this energy into the tablet. And it, when they should have put that money and energy and, and interest and development time into the smartphone. But and Steve Jobs it, told us it was going <laughs> to save us all on his way out. That was his, his uh, gift. Well, I think Canada, the press was just such a bizarre success. La Presse Plus launched a tablet app. They uh, apparently have 450,000 weekly readers that they count themselves. And they're spending 40 minutes a day with the experience, and which is equivalent to a newspaper experience. And that reinvigorated the media company when the Daily launched in 2010, I think, or 11, which was the, the Fox uh, endeavor to do a daily magazine. There was a lot of the same hope around tablet experiences. It crashed and burned. The press proved in a very distinct market that there was some kind of success based on the way the press was spinning the numbers. And I think that, you know, inspired a lot of Hold companies. Hold on. Based on the way they're spinning the numbers is an important part because I've heard a lo- just a lot of raised eyebrows and insinuations on Twitter. And I've never gotten the full story. I know that they would sweeten the subscription deal by they, they give you a subscription to Paris Match when you sign up for the La Presse. But that might get you on board, but that's not going to get you 40 minutes a day. Does anyone have any clarity? Is, is it inflated, this idea that whether it's a success story that can scale to Toronto or elsewhere, or whether it's just a Quebec thing, does that success story even exist? This is Josh. I, I, I was very skeptical of La Presse's numbers. And I'm I'm not, I have no evidence to say that there's anything inaccurate about them. I'm certainly not claiming that. But I mean, an average time per day of 40 minutes is absurd. Because, uh, I mean, just let's think mathematically. If the average time is 40 minutes, that means for everyone who, who looks at it for 30 seconds and says, oh, you know, I got I to gotta step away, that means there's somebody else who is looking at it for 80 minutes to balance that out. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, looking at the La, La Presse app and, and trying to brush up on my French and then looking at Star Touch. And I just, it doesn't feel like there's 40 minutes of stuff in there a day uh, and, and the, the, the stuff that I've looked at. I, I, I don't know. I, you know, the, the vision of, of, of the tablet app is, I think the one area, one way that I think you can look at it in a, in a, in a way that makes at least some modicum of sense is not that you're trying to please people like you guys. The, the, the tablet app is not about trying to take people who spend all day on Twitter and suddenly sell them on this lean back experience. The big problem that every newspaper faces is that you have all these print subscribers who are, you know, aging, are dying, are, are, are eventually, you know, getting, getting moved in other directions. Uh, tablet consumption is disproportionately, uh, it skews older. And, if you can take the, the vision, the positive vision that was put out for newspapers, you know, 10 years ago was maybe we can just move our print audience to digital. The advertising will come with it and uh, we'll just actually make a lot more money because we will stop production costs. We won't have to run these expensive presses. We won't have to have these trucks that go delivering things around the, 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 the city. That's all really expensive. If we can get rid of those expenses and maintain the audience, then we're, we're golden. Obviously, that didn't happen. 
But I think if you if you view it in the specific lens of this is a conversion tool to basically turn a high revenue but high cost print customers into tablet customers, then that makes at least some sense. I still think that that's a really bizarre bet to rest your company on. And there, there's certainly no American uh, newspaper that is that has been as tablet-centric as all of your newspapers seem to be. <laughs> and I think we haven't given people proper context on why the star touch thing is, is, a, is a little bit different than some of these other... I mean, this is supposed to be a time of experimentation. Why not try stuff out, uh, see what works, iterate, evolve, all this stuff. When we're talking about the star touch, the Toronto Star's massive gamble they've put i think 20 million might be uh conservative estimate at this point they hired 100 people and this is modeled after the the la press version they hired an entire new news team a massive publicity campaign everybody's seeing the ads everywhere toronto's blanket in it it's it's just a, a huge marketing expenditure and the ads are just like star touch it exists download it for some reason if they have i don't know 10% 10% of the people who downloaded. So they're saying they had 100,000 downloads or shooting for 180 by the end of the year, I believe. How do you possibly recoup that investment on 10, 15,000 daily active users? And that's the thing that I've always uh, struggled with myself with the StarTouch strategy is that one of the things that La Presse model that uh, often gets forgotten and will actually be sort of evidence in the start of this new year is they committed to getting rid of the print edition. So that's a substantial, to Josh's point, around getting rid of the print costs. Mm-hmm. La Presse said, we're going away with a Monday to Friday print edition. You have to download the tablet if you want to read you know, the, the newspaper. On Saturday, we'll have a print edition. Weekend, we'll have a print edition. The Star is uh, committed to a mixed model. And that has an incredible burden, both newsroom culture and newsroom delivery, uh, and also brand experience for the customer and cost infrastructure. So I don't know how they can recruit. Chris, can you jump in here? I, you were tweeting that you were catching StarTouch ads from a bar in New York City. <laughs> well, they they were advertising on the on the boards of a Raptors game or something. So I think that's more a question of the media strategy of advertising local products on internationally televised sporting events. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've seen when I've looked at analytics for different media platforms and looked at the percentage of traffic that's going to tablet. BuzzFeed is is about seventy percent mobile now. With the other thirty percent, um, you know, mostly desktop, and then some of that is tablet. Some what of we, the thirty percent is tablet. Yeah. Okay. So what BuzzFeed has done is, is we've sort of said, where is the where is the audience? You know, we want to invest on where people are. We started this conversation by talking about business models and how do you get audience and scale. And one of the things we realized was that we were looking at um, the page views to our website. But we've got this video operation, and the entire organization uh, around video is just to get videos seen. Not the, their, their purpose isn't to drive traffic to the website. The purpose is to create great video content that people see wherever they're watching videos. So from day one, we put all those videos onto YouTube directly. Uh, and then when Facebook video came along, we started publishing directly to Facebook video. And then last year, we realized that we could do that with um with other kinds of content as well. So uh, we started publishing content directly to platforms, publishing directly to Tumblr or Twitter or Instagram or WeChat or Snapchat without the objective of driving traffic back to the website necessarily. And what that does is it, it, it lets you expand your, your audience and your reach 
a lot more than if you just focus on any one particular platform uh, or any one particular format. And How so do the now, economics work, if I can ask? If you, if you have, yeah. uh, everyone watches BuzzFeed videos as they pop up on their Facebook feed or you get sent a, a link to the YouTube, you're saying BuzzFeed is agnostic. We want you to watch our videos wherever they show up. How does that turn into money? Right. So we have a different model, right? We're not dependent on display advertising, which is the broader category that banner ads fall into. Um, BuzzFeed instead makes all of its money, almost all of its money off of uh, native advertising. What that means is you're looking as a media company to get a large audience and then you're selling that audience's, a piece of that audience's attention to advertisers. So it, it doesn't particularly matter to us if that audience is on uh, a property we own necessarily or a property we have a partnership with or a property that we don't where we're just experimenting, like we're just putting stuff up on to Vine or, or WeChat. Right now, all of our platforms aren't worth the same amount to us. Um, I'm not pretending that we've you know, figured that out and everywhere we're putting content, we're making money, but they all have promise. And in general, because our model is built around that kind of advertising and that kind of revenue, uh, we can be a bit more flexible about where and how we we serve an audience. And we're not we're not as restricted to just trying to drive traffic to the website. That is a great model for monetizing viral videos, native content, uh, partnerships with brands. That is not a way of making money off of news. You can take some of the profits from that and invest them in journalism as BuzzFeed does. And I don't take anything away from the fact that BuzzFeed has made a serious investment in journalism. But news isn't really a part of BuzzFeed's business model, as far as I understand it. And I think part of what you're seeing now is the publishers chasing, especially in Canada with their launching of Facebook Instant Articles and Apple News coming through. There's a lot of those new publishers, those new platforms that are eager to get big brands on side, whether it's CBC or the Toronto Star or the Globe and Mail. So there's favorable conditions for them right now to share their content on that platform. Traditional media companies now are looking at those platforms as being a way to replace sort of the, the drive-by newspaper boxes. If you happen to see you know, the Globe Mail story a couple times on a Facebook feed, the brand's front of mind and eventually you'll convert over. But we're seeing a compression of the media um, conversion scale, right? Originally, you know, 15 years ago, you're looking at newspaper to website. 10 years ago, you're looking at website to mobile. Now you're looking at you know, mobile to social media. Smaller and smaller revenue shares of each of those conversion moments and harder and harder to convert those spaces. And also under the control of Facebook. It's not your platform. And, and the algorithm that, you know, and, and Facebook likes to say that they're not a media company. They definitely are because they're making, their algorithm makes editorial choices for people every single moment yeah. of every single day. So it becomes a... It's a challenge for for Canadian storytellers as well, because not having a mass audience because we're, you know, one tenth or whatever of uh, not being able to penetrate into people's news feeds is a huge challenge for any media organization, new or, or legacy, because we're at the whims and fancies of whatever Facebook is doing with their algorithm at that moment. And whether or not we've if you don't actually. So this is a bit of a tangent, but if you don't actually post native video on Facebook right now. You might as well just not bother doing anything because yeah, yeah, their algorithm won't favor you. It doesn't autoplay. Absolutely, and it's, yeah, because yeah. it actually throttles against you if you post a YouTube video, for example. So, but I mean that may change in two weeks yeah, or two days, change, you yeah. know, or two hours. <laughs> but, but that's you know that's the thing that that you have to be aware of is that the more we the more we use those platforms to to surface and have discovery happen, the more we're relying on, you know, people in 
one one guy basically. <laughs> and, uh, right, right. I, I think actually that's. I mean, this what we're talking about is one reason why you've seen the last uh, you know eighteen twenty four months a real increased interest in email newsletters and in podcasts because those are two media channels that are still very much direct publisher to consumer. You know, you subscribe to a podcast, you subscribe to an email newsletter, it comes straight to you. If you want to put ads in it, you can put ads in it. You control that whole process. It's not algorithmically driven. You don't have to worry about, you know, the newsfeed changing, changing its mind on, on whether it likes you or not. Uh, that's one reason why I think if, I, if I'm running a legacy media company, I'm thinking, how can I make money off of our, our most passionate readers and how can I deliver as much content as possible directly there as opposed to hoping it'll pop up someplace else? Because the vision of that model was, well, Facebook reaches a, gaj- a gajillion people. Like I, I, I could, things can go really huge. And yes, they can. But you, as we've been saying, you just don't have any control over it. That's a great point, Josh. And I, I think in the context of the CBC, that's interesting because to go to these other platforms where just everybody is sort of showing up with their content in a bucket and hoping that the magic sauce of the algorithm favors them versus we look at podcasting and newsletters as a a traditional relationship. The CBC, maybe the original sin was back when you were talking about those meetings, do we put advertising in or not? Not that advertising was put in, but that it feels like even on the CBC's own website, the decision was made, we'll we'll, we'll throw up banner ads and we'll run pre-roll ads so that even if I'm looking for something that was on the radio without ads earlier today, it plays with like pre-roll. It's very difficult to navigate. There's a lot of kind of commercialized junk. I felt like they, they, that the CBC sold its own brand too short. And now it's very hard to backtrack from that. I mean, I remember even when CBC was dominating the podcasting space and nine of the top 10 podcasts in Canada were CBC podcasts, which now they're not even the top 20 or 30. And they tried to introduce advertising into the podcasts and they were just trying to sell traditional ads to play before the podcast. Well, now we know that the whole point of a podcast for, from an advertiser's point of view is that there's an intimate connection and having me deliver this stuff at the beginning of the show is much more effective than running the audio clip of a, you know, a, a traditional radio ad. Do you feel like there was a missed opportunity? I don't know. Do you agree with my thesis? And I'm not <laughs> going to ask you to join in on the CBC bashing. I'm just, I, I, I feel like it could have gone better in a bunch of different ways. And I don't, I'm not exactly sure how they reform it. Yeah, I'm, you know, sure. I'm sure it could have gone better. It sort of, I'm sure it could have, uh, you know, been more elegant. There were times when it felt like a little bit like a NASCAR, you know, <laughs> let's put some more, more ads into it. But even when you come to CBC, I'm sorry, when you come to cbc.ca and so many people come looking for news yeah. and instead you've got like promos for what, for Murdoch mysteries and you got to click through to the news. Like, well, that's, that's not a very web, like you give the user what they want, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the, the tension is that you've got, you know, some people in a boardroom that are saying, well, wait a second, we're making may, way more revenue off of the advertising that we're putting in the television shows. So we need to drive attention to those television shows. So it's, it's sort of like air traffic control, right? And like everybody is in the air traffic ca- tower and they're all arguing all the time about where, where should we shine the light right now? And that's sort of why you see a bit of that disconnect. I always felt, especially in my last year at CBC, and that's what I'm trying to build right now, is that next generation public media is just shining a light on great storytelling of the nation that you, like, to me, CBC should be just shining a light on whomever the storyteller is. If it's somebody, great Canadian YouTuber that's done something over there, or my gosh, another media organization that has a really compelling piece or a great point of view on something that is what to me public media ought to be doing right and that's 
you know, that that should be the homepage of CBC is just a big feed of everything that Canadians should be paying attention to right now, you know, and maybe it's algorithmically driven too. I, and know, I, think, but. That's, I think that's what's great about uh, BuzzFeed and what uh, Chris, you're doing down there and, and in general with that platform and even to some extent Vice. I mean, they're going back to, again, what legacy media was originally about. Newspapers aggregated content from all wire services 100 years ago, threw them together in a little package and sold them to people. That's what BuzzFeed's doing now. People are interested in looking at good selection of content no matter where it's coming from. And they'll have their favorites and they'll have their bits and pieces, but they want to have that sort of good experience sort of presented to them. And BuzzFeed does it in a fun and engaging and, and enjoyable way and packages some incredible news stories with that as well. And, and It's think- true. And you know what? Like the, the criticism of, uh, well, the news isn't, isn't revenue positive and the other stuff pays for the news. In a sense, that's always been true. Yeah. You know, the, the crosswords and the horoscopes paid for, for the front or page. the drive section or the travel section or anything like that, yeah. And I can say with CBC, the news still drives the vast majority of the traffic on the site because it is the biggest behemoth of, of the organization, yeah. right? So, you know, it is actually, if there's, I don't know, I don't know what the numbers are now, but the revenue on the news side was was the display on the news on the news pages was uh, was vastly the biggest amount of, of uh, revenue that was coming in. News was the moneymaker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of display advertising, if you're just looking at page views and that kind of thing. So listen, we're five of us sitting here trying to figure out the solutions for legacy media. None of us work for legacy media anymore, but we're all involved in what whatever's coming next. Now that allows us to maybe speak about these organizations with a bit more freedom than if we were still getting paychecks from them. But I think we've all kind of voted in what we're doing with our time. You know, a dinosaur doesn't give birth to a mammal and it's very hard to turn around the Titanic. Um, It's easier to get into a speedboat. You can see why the Toronto Star maybe against better judgment, glommed on to La Presse because at least there's some sign of, of success, even if it's hyperbole. Will anything work for a big legacy news organization trying to adapt and thrive and sustain? Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> Perhaps well, not as big ones. Remember, I mean, well, so first of all, dinosaurs did turn into birds. Yes, I, mean, yeah, I was going to say that too. Nothing, they still are amongst you know? us. There's, there's, there's something there. <laughs> They're just different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the globe just needs to grow feathers or something. But no, I, I, this isn't, I think that there is going to be, you know, like, so in the States, I don't worry about the New York Times. The New York Times is going to be very well positioned. They are going to have a premium audience of, uh, you know, people who are uh, better off than average. Advertisers are going to want to reach them. Uh, They're large enough that they can have significant investments in technology and development. I mean, you know, from newsroom stuff like beautiful interactives to uh, data science on better targeting of subscribers, you know, something that big, I don't worry that much about. But hold on. I'm sorry. Because you, Josh, you guys did, you, you. Everyone was looking to the New York Times like they're getting it right. They've got these beautiful interactives. They're doing data journalism. They've got the behind under the hood. They've got the data scientists. They're leading the way. They got a brand that can't be beat. And then you leaked their internal digital document and it turned out that things weren't going so well. That was actually BuzzFeed, hey, wasn't yeah. it? The oh, my God. <laughs> no, it was Mashable at first. I, I, uh, Mashable leaked the, the color copy. Who had that first? BuzzFeed, had, BuzzFeed had, the, had the black and white copy. Mashable leaked the color copy and then <laughs> got all the traffic. But no, a lot of traffic. Excuse me. Um, no, uh, no, the, the, absolutely. The, the Times is uh, has all sorts of culture issues in the newsroom and, and throughout the company. I mean, they they're they're well far ahead of where they used to be, but yeah. But but the thing is, they're at a scale where they can you can manage that process. And I think that there is going to be a demand for a New York Times. I think there is going to be a demand for something like a Globe and Mail going forward. It's much more questionable whether there is going to be a demand for, or what the demand is going to be like for a daily paper in Edmonton or in, or in Halifax. 
tracks or, you know, you go smaller on down the line. That's where I think that the the inability to achieve scale and audience has this sort of uh, spiraling effect where that means you don't have you're not big enough to be able to invest in a technology team. Your your ad sales team is still going to remain small. It's going to be targeting uh, local businesses that are going to be finding better returns at a cheaper price by advertising on Facebook instead of advertising on your news site. I, I really do worry about you know, local to regional size newspapers um, in in both of our countries. Who's going to do, is anyone showing success with local news? Has anyone figured out a, a way to uh, just report local news and make money off of it? There are a hand, there are more than a handful. There are, there are a, a decent number of hyper-local sites that cover a neighborhood and cover them obsessively. Why they're able to do it is because they're very small. They're not ambitious journalistically. I mean, there, there's nothing, there's nothing that is supporting what used to be a newspaper sized newsroom digitally. That just uh, on a local basis, that just doesn't exist, and nothing really close to it exists. My first, my first job in in, uh, in newspapers was at the Toledo Blade, and we had 150 editorial employees. I don't even want to think about what it is now, but it's probably 50, 60, uh, and shrinking. And we're nowhere near the end of that shrinkage. It's going to continue, and it's going to continue shrinking. And I don't have a ton of hope. For, for local media. I think that the, the really large brands have, uh, the national brands have incredible brand uh, identity. They have uh, enough scale that they might be able to pull it off. And I'm, I'm much more optimistic about them. They're still going to have a hell of a time and they're still going to shrink and they're still going to, you know, uh, you know, fire a few more CEOs. But I, I think there's a sustainable path there. Tessa? I think just much smaller, big media, I guess is how, is how I would put it in. You know, and that only makes sense when, when I first, my first job at CBC was in the radio newsroom, cutting actual tape with actual razor blades. And that wasn't that long ago. And I worked on a show that had seven people putting it together every day. And then it went down to two within that was in the, in the first round of cuts. So it went down to two. That newsroom has gone from, yeah, probably about a hundred people down to 30 people. There's still putting out the same amount, you know, and, and that's also technology has helped in that in that space as well, because you can do a heck of a lot more with, you know, we used to use the sources book and stuff, you know, like, and it like things took longer and it took more people to actually do it. And you had audio guy and you had, you know, whatever, like you had a lot more people that had to be involved in doing stuff. Now, like a kid in his basement can have, can have impact with, uh, with his storytelling, which is fantastic and, and amazing and very different than what, than what it was before. And I think that's where a lot of the companies haven't addressed. And it's it, the classic problem with like sort of the disruption to use that dirty word is companies it's have a, a hard word. time addressing um, the differences. There's the scale of what you can do now is so much different than the way the organizations are set up. A newspaper is set up in a industrial model. There is a hierarchy that's put in place from an editor in chief down to the, you know, the reporters and the copy editors to the production of that process that doesn't need to exist anymore. BuzzFeed, I'm sure Chris has a similar kind of setup as an editorial newsroom. You've got a sales operation, but the scale of that support, that horizontal support that supports the newsroom isn't the same as it is in a, in a traditional news organization. And for the executives to make those decisions about, do we want to get rid of a third of our workforce, two thirds of our workforce? Can we with the unionized can, environment that we have? Can we with yeah. the unionized environment manage that stuff just to support the newsroom? Those are very, very challenging uh, decisions whether you're a public company or you're a privately held company. We ask these as hypotheticals or as like uh, rhetorical, can they? I think that they probably can't. Sometimes I wonder, you know, why didn't, why didn't, I mean, you've talked about this on, on Canada Land, you know, why didn't Zip become Netflix? Why couldn't BuzzFeed have started in Canada? Vice did start in Canada. Why did it, why yeah. did it have to grow up in the United States? You know, disruption is an 
overused and misunderstood and very important concept. <laughs> and that if, if I were a Canadian media executive, I would, and this will cause some people to roll their eyes, but I would be reading and internalizing The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen because the forces of disruption are actually really well documented and they can be responded to if you understand that the forces that are disrupting you don't look successful by your own metrics, that the metrics that you've been using are not the same as the metrics that they're using, and also that the things that you've been doing to become successful are now the very same things that are hurting you. That's the concept of, that's a big part of the idea of, of, of his theory of disruption. So it's possible, companies have done it, companies that have been established incumbents in industries that have been disrupted uh, have figured out ways to survive, but it is it is very difficult. The good news, I think, I'm very optimistic for the future of media in general because of what you mentioned, you know, Vice and Vox and and, and BuzzFeed and others are investing uh, in, in journalism. The amount of journalism that's being done is is good and encouraging. I think there is a path to making sure that that's happening in Canada as well. And some of it is going to be, you know, BuzzFeed Canada and, and Vice investments in Canada and that sort of thing. But there's no reason why it can't be homegrown as well. With that, everybody, thank you so much. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is at canadalandshow.com. That's where you can sign up for Not Sorry by the very charming and clever Vicky Machama. Our crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I want to announce something new this week, Canada Land at the Movies, for those of you who live in Toronto, sorry. This is a screening series where we're going to show movies about the news or about the media, preceded by a chat with a journalist who loves that movie, and we're going to just talk about whatever in relation to the movie, and then we're going to have drinks and hang out at the historic Review Cinema on Roncesvalles. The first screening at Canada Land at the Movies is Deadline USA, old bogey film that made Michael Enright want to get into journalism, and that is my guest for the first Canada Land at the movies. Michael Enright and myself in conversation, followed by Humphrey Bogart, followed by Drinks in Conversation. You can buy tickets online. Check out our Facebook page for a link. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. The next episode of Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like this show, please support it. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will let me serve in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a campside media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.